This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and leadership coach. And today, I welcome Amy Kay Hutchins to the show. Amy Kay will talk about how to overcome false narratives and beat the imposter syndrome. Amy Kay, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Caroline. Oh, I'm really thrilled to have you here, and I want to dive in. We're going to have a juicy conversation. What was the impetus for writing your book, The Secrets Leaders Keep? And where did it all start? For me, it started hearing a phrase, it's lonely at the top, Mm. way too many times. And I'm sure you've heard that as well from other leaders that you work with. And what I realized is after being that business strategist for over 20 years and having that intimate look on the other side of the curtain, like what's going on behind the scenes with leaders that I just had the privilege and the honor to work with, I realized that it doesn't have to be lonely. Yeah. That that is, that is a choice um, and it's a myth that we've perpetuated. And so what started the book was I really wanted to reveal the secrets that a lot of leaders are dealing with and to let people know that we have more in common than we have differences and that if we talk about them, we'll realize it doesn't have to be that lonely at the top. I'm so grateful for that. You know, it's important because I, I think you and I are of the same mind that leaders are all through the rungs of the organizational ladder in an organization. For example, they're not just the executive C-suite. And I think if we have that open, transparent communication from the get-go, we're going to have healthier, better leaders all around. We are. And all of us are leaders. And that, that's kind of the, you know, the other myth that we've perpetuated is that there's a hierarchical structure to it. And there isn't. I mean, we're leading our lives, as you say, every single time that you're out in the world, you know, this is your working life. It's also your personal life. And you are a leader of it every single day. Absolutely. So let's dive in. What are the most common secrets that the leaders with whom you spoke have shared? And, and you know, these are secrets that have prevented them from maybe reaching their true potential. Absolutely. In fact, you know, these are the secrets that I say are the reasons that you stay awake at three o'clock in the morning. You know, I, I know what makes your stomach turn. I know what makes your palms sweat. And while there's a myriad of secrets that are unique and individual to every person out there, there are some that we really have in common. And so in the book, I dive into 14 of them. But more specifically, there are five that you will see almost ubiquitously um, in the working world. And one of them is the imposter syndrome. That is something that um, Sheryl Sandberg brought uh, light to in her book, Lean In, but it's not new. That wasn't something that Sheryl discovered. You know, it's been around for decades. And when I was teaching back in the 1980s, that will date me. But when I was teaching back then, even children, children who had, and it's not politically correct, but children who'd been labeled gifted and talented were already suffering from the imposter syndrome, like waiting for somebody to show up and say, oh, you're not really smart enough. Oh, you're not really bright enough. We made a mistake. You don't belong here. And we take that with us into adulthood. You will find a lot of type A overachievers with great titles and big salaries and huge accomplishments are constantly looking over their shoulder, waiting for somebody to say, oh, you're not really as good as we thought you were. <laughs> and that is that is very limiting to our potential is to constantly be looking backwards over our shoulder, waiting for somebody to say, you're really not good enough to lead. And you know what I love? You talk about how to rewrite that narrative, because as you said, we have so much more control and power to change that mindset. So walk us through, what does that look like? 
You know, there's a couple different ways to do it, but one of the things I love to do is just to give people a visual first. So when you react to something, that's very human, that's very normal, but you are not your reaction. Mm. You are bigger than your reaction, and I call it the witness. So if you can actually get a little bit, quote unquote, above yourself, so kind of visualize yourself coming up and out of your skin and realizing, oh, I'm a witness to what's going, mm. out, to going on, but I'm bigger than that. And so a lot of times I'll say to people, especially those who suffer from the imposter syndrome, another really big secret is the comparison condition. I will say, okay, stop for a second, honor the fact that you're human, you had this reaction, that's okay, but you're not just your reaction. So now you have to change the story. You have to ask yourself, okay, what's triggered this? What am I missing? Um, what's happening to me to drive this emotion? What boundaries been crossed? You know, where is this coming from in a false narrative or a false story? And one of the things that I think that's really important is just an example is a lot of people will say, oh, Caroline, I can't help it. You know, it's just the way I feel. Mm. And my first professional response is malarkey. <laughs> Your feelings don't start the process. A thought starts the process. You don't feel angry. You don't feel frustrated. You don't feel sad until you've had a thought that causes you to feel that way. So I go back and I say, then we have to do some thought work. We have to change what that thought is. We have to challenge the truth. And so here's a really great question. Whenever you're starting to feel angry or frustrated or anxious, ask yourself, okay, what's the thought behind this emotion? And then see if you can get really clear on the thought and then ask yourself, is this thought true? A hundred percent, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And if you say no, then you are already taking control as a witness to change your thought. It's a brilliant strategy. I love that. And, you know, it really does give you permission to take your power back. And I believe power isn't given, it's taken, right? We have to give ourselves permission to say, okay, here's who I am. And I love that visual. It's almost like an out-of-body experience where you're witnessing yourself. That's awesome. I love it. And I think that that's good. If it goes back to your comment about taking our power back, one of the things that I think is really cool for us to, to realize, and you just nailed it on the head, we give it away. And so one of the things that I think is really important for us to do is take a deep breath and realizing life is happening one conversation at a time. That's it. Yeah. It's one conversation at a time. Now that conversation might be with another person. It might be an internal dialogue that you're having with yourself. But what I realized a long time ago is that if I can just stop, and realize that I need to be present in this conversation, I can stay a lot more secure and a lot more grounded and get a, an entirely different outcome than if I'm always racing to the next conversation in my head and I skip this one. I'd love to tap your wisdom and expertise about something that I really think is going to resonate with this global audience. So here's a hypothetical, but if it applies to anyone listening, this is a great opportunity to get some coaching from Amy Kay. Okay, so let's say you're sitting down with a very difficult direct report. What would be one of your suggestions for creating excuse me, a better exchange, a better way to commute with that person, communicate with that person who is admittedly difficult, right? We all know that person. <laughs> we all know that person. And here's, here's what a lot of us do. We take on the responsibility of solving the problem or fixing it. So if somebody walks in, they're being difficult, they're, they're trying to take the monkey off of their back, so to speak. You know, that, that analogy has right. been around for a long time. What I think is really important, and this keeps our power, but we also find our voice in this moment, is we ask a question. 
We don't do it bombastically. We don't do it in an agitating way. We can just, from a really grounded perspective, we can say, all right, and you're bringing this to me with the hopes that I do what? Nice. Or how are you expecting me to respond to the information that you're sharing? Now, this is great because usually the person that's bringing this has not thought about that. They either want to vent, they want to whine, they want to dump it in your lap. But when you stop and you put the responsibility and the accountability back on them, and again, you're not being abrasive, you're coming from a really kind place. And it would just be like, okay, well, Caroline, I hear you. Now, what are you hoping that I do as a response to this information? Or how are you hoping that I take action around this? And somebody will say, oh, I want you to fire this person, or I want you to do this, or I want you to do X. And you can look at them and you could say, well, here's what I am willing to do. Or that's not within my power, or I'm not willing to take that step, but here's what I am willing to do. It completely shifts the dynamic. I love that. And I have to say, coach to coach, I really appreciate that you're putting the onus and the accountability on the other person. You're not there to fix it. This is a a two-sided relationship, and they need to take some ownership in that. So I appreciate that. And I believe in the end, it empowers them to be more proactive. Sure. I mean, you're you're giving them a chance to actually own their power. Yeah. Exactly. You know, you talk a lot in the book about how to change a belief. Walk us through that and tell me what that means. Well, our, our beliefs are either working for us or they're not working for us. So they're either hurting us or they're helping us. So for instance, if you love your spouse, if you love your significant other, that's an awesome belief. You know, that, that's like, okay, that works for me. That brings me joy. That's positivity. That works in my life, both personally and professionally. When you have a belief, though, that's limiting, when it makes you feel small, when it makes you feel less than, when you've got a belief that um, could be I'm not good enough um, or I'm not um, smart enough or I'm not creative enough or I don't have enough money or time or energy or resources, those are limiting beliefs. And one of the things that I love to do um, with my clients is to just say, okay, you've got this belief, but it's backward or it's limiting or it's negative in its focus and it's not allowing you to maximize your gifts and talents or live up to your fullest potential, then let's look at the truth of that belief. So I would say to, just to um, role play, I would say to a client, all right, you know, what's limiting you? And they're, they're like, you know, I'm going to die broke or I'm not creative enough or I don't have enough, you know, business skills to start this, you know, this new entrepreneurial endeavor. And I'll, and I'll look at them and I'll say, okay, can you um, prove that to be true 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year? And they'll usually say no. And I'll say, okay, well, give me an example where it's not true. And I usually ask them to come up with two or three examples. And so they'll say, oh, well, I was creative over here, or I did make this idea work, or I was able to do this, or X or Y or Z. And I'll say, okay. So in the gentlest way, I just want to point out that you're lying to yourself. Mm. You're lying to yourself when you say that you aren't enough, or you're not good enough, or you don't have these things. And I said, so let's change that thought. Let's change that belief to sometimes I'm creative. Or every now and then I'm creative. And I don't force them into the, you know, I'm the most creative person I've ever met. We don't go into false beliefs. But here's something that I learned. You cannot fight a belief with logic. Hmm. It just doesn't work. Trying to bring the rational into a belief system is the opposite way to go. It's kind of like telling a person um, who's afraid to fly is a good example. Well, it's safer in the sky. You know, there's there's statistics that prove that it's safer in the sky. You can give them all the data right. in the world. Not they still help. don't want to fly. Yeah. So, so it's a great example for us to realize, okay, I'm not going to change a belief with logic, but here's the beauty of this. You can absolutely change a belief with a new belief. Yeah. And, and here's the kicker. You just have to believe it. So you don't go 180 
It might be, well, sometimes I'm creative or in this area of my life, I'm creative. And then I'll say, okay, well, with this new thought, with this slight shift in your thinking, with this slightly more positive belief, how does that make you feel? And they'll often say, oh my God, liberated, or I have hope. You can sometimes watch their shoulders physically drop. And then I'll say, okay, well, with this new belief and with this new feelings of positivity and hope, how might you act? And again, they reclaim their power by, oh, I have control over this. These are things that I can actually do or make a difference So those small incremental steps are really incredibly helpful. They're crucial. And, and, that's, and that's a great way to put it. They're turtle steps. It's chunking. It's tweaking. It's not massive change because you don't believe in that yet. Exactly. You don't trust it. And, and it takes time. It does. So, Amy Kay, I love this about you and about how you write and how you coach. You very provocatively talk about how often a company's values can also be their downfall. And I'm so grateful for that. You know, the company values are on the website, they're on the walls of the organization, but it's not always something they live up to. So tell us more about a company and their values and how that can be a slippery slope. It is a slippery slope. And it's and it's something that we've... Um, We've all experienced if we've ever worked for a large corporation or we've worked for that small business It's like, okay, we're going to all get together and we're going to, you know, plaster a wall with chart paper and we're going to come up with our mission and our vision and our core values. And there's nothing wrong with that except that we never see it through. So what happens is we'll come up with words that are teamwork and respect and integrity and then we spend hundreds of dollars to publish them on the back of business cards, or as you pointed out, put them on a plaque on a wall. Yeah. But what we never do is talk about the behavior behind it. So everybody goes off with their own interpretation of what those buzzwords mean. So, you know, the, the leader of a company or the leader of a team will be like, oh, we really believe in trust. And everybody like, oh, yeah, and we all nod our heads. And then we don't trust each other because we don't know the behavior behind it. We haven't really done a great job of saying, well, what is the behavior that leads to trust? Like, what do we need to do or say that's going to create a culture that's filled with genuinely authentic trust? And so that's where the conversation to me gets intriguing. So for instance, if I, if I ask a majority of business people today, how do you define trust? A lot of them will say, oh, it's consistency. You know, if you behave um, in a consistent manner, I will start to trust you to behave that way. And I'm like, well, as a behaviorist, as an educator, I love the fact that you're using that word. The problem is, is what if the person that you quote unquote are seeing consistent behavior from is behaving in a way that's not going to generate trust? I mean, maybe this person is consistently a charismatic jerk. Right. And, I, and if he was or she was a charismatic jerk yesterday and they're a charismatic jerk today, he or she's going to only be a charismatic jerk tomorrow. And that's all I trust. I only trust them to be a charismatic jerk. So it's not consistency of behavior. So one of the best things that I'll share about um, the trust definition today is it's vulnerability. Mm. And it isn't vulnerability as in we're all on a couch having group therapy and, and tissues. No, it's vulnerability as in you have a culture where it is safe and without judgment to ask for help. And when you have a culture where it's safe for me to say, oh, Caroline, you know, what's something that you're ridiculously good at? Well, then can you help me with that? Because that's not my forte. And you don't roll your eyes. You have respect for my own domain expertise. You're willing to dive in, roll up your sleeves and say, well, of course, I'll help you. Because our culture is one where we actually trust each other 
to lean out, be vulnerable, and ask for help. That's how you garner it. Oh, gorgeous, gorgeous. So important and such a good lesson. So let's dovetail on that. What are some other differentiators between good leaders and great leaders? Because I think something that the entire global listening audience has in common is they want to be their personal best. They want to be a great leader no matter where they are on their career path. You know, I... I'm I'm supportive of all the things that we often hear. You know, a good leader needs to have a vision and be persuasive and and be an influencer and a supporter. But I I really think that there's one fundamental difference that I've seen over the last 25 years, and that is those leaders that really move from good to great or even great to brilliant are the ones that have emotional intelligence and are self-aware. And to me, it's just one of those just huge game changers. When you have a leader that says, okay, I understand my own strengths and my own weaknesses. I understand my own triggers. I spend a lot of time in self-reflection so that I can stay grounded in conversations. Um, so here's, here's, a, here's a really great example of self-awareness. We're human. You're going to get angry. You're going to get frustrated. But the self-aware leader is going to, again, be bigger than his or her reaction. They're going to be a witness to it. Doesn't mean you can't lose your temper. That's normal. But most often, really great leaders, instead of losing their temper frequently, they might lose it once or twice. And then they'll say, okay, wait a minute. What boundary for me has been broken? So if if I'm being triggered in an angry or frustrating way, something's been broken, some boundary that I have around my belief systems or around my core values. And now what needs to be restored? What needs to be protected? What needs to be established? What action action am I going to take in order to evolve or play better, bigger, bolder than how I'm playing now? And it's that self-reflection, that constant awareness of this is a journey. I don't have it all figured out, but I'm going to stay curious about who I am and how this world works so that I can play bigger, those to me are the most brilliant leaders that I've ever seen. Amy K. Hutchins, you are one of those brilliant leaders, and I am so grateful that you shared your time and expertise on the show today. Your incredible book is The Secrets Leaders Keep, and it's available widely on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, and I know all of our global listeners are going to get out there and, and buy that book. Thank you. I learned a lot today, and I am so grateful for you. Oh, thank you for sharing your time. It was a total honor and privilege to be a partner with you today. Thanks, Amy Kay. You take good care, and I wish you continued success. Thanks so much. Hey, if you like the show, subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud, and even better, leave us a review and let us know what career development topics you'd like for us to discuss on the show. You can find me on Twitter at cdowdhiggins or send me a direct email at caroline at carolinedowdhiggins.com. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. Thanks for listening and take good care.